Good morning. We are going to continue to go through the gospel of Matthew. This morning we're going to be Matthew 24, 15 to uh, 35. Um, you know, the announcements and everything, they really go with, with even the theme of what three weeks of teaching through Matthew 24 is. And it's church being ready for the second coming of Christ. Um, and the, for the church to be on mission, it's something that you're going to hear a lot today. You hear in probably a lot of sermons uh, and teachings that we do because that's what the, what the Bible tells us to do. But, you know, going to Ecuador and, uh, and telling people about Jesus, and it's, 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 our, it's what we do. It's what we're called to do. It's telling people here in Springfield about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our students going out. Um, summertime is always a special time because, you know, our schedules change and, and we're able to go to different places um, and supporting uh, people that are doing missions here, but also also abroad. And so um, really, as we're looking at Matthew 24, 15 to 35, um, and all of Matthew 24, please keep that in mind. Um, last week, just to recap things, Pastor Michael took us to, uh, through Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. And this is the beginning of a teaching um, in, in this section of the Gospel of Matthew that is kind of maybe hard to hear, because it's important. It's very hard to hear because we're humans. We talk about end times. Does it give anyone some anxiety? A little bit of fear? Raise your hand if that's right. It, it, we're going to talk about that where it shouldn't, but it does because you're human. Our hope today is that fear, anxiety, that, that we can, and I feel it too sometimes. Like, oh, like literally I'm preaching the next two weeks on end of times um, prophecy and instructions from Jesus. And, and last night I didn't, I didn't sleep well. And I'm like, oh great, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be in a brain fog as I explain really difficult things. So there is some fear and anxiety, but hopefully that, that fear and anxiety in maturity can go to reverence and readiness and hope. And that's what's beautiful, even just our announcements today. It's just like, hey, let's tell people about Jesus. Let's tell people about Jesus. In last week's message, uh, in verses 1 through 14, remember Jesus is walking with the disciples. And it's the disciples that point out the temple. And they go, Jesus, look, look how beautiful the temple is. Look at its glory. Now, remember, in the end of Matthew 23, Jesus said to the Sadducees and Pharisees, as he's crying over Jerusalem, that their house is going to be desolate. And he's using those words, and it's as if the disciples are walking with Jesus, and they're going, hey, see how beautiful this is? See how large it is? Is it truly going to be destroyed? And that's where we get to the passage today. They are asking two questions. When will this happen? When will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the signs of Jesus coming in the end of the age? Look with me in Matthew 24, and we, we're going to be in verses 15 through 35. And I, I want to explain, too, this is, this is some heaviness. And we're supposed to be a little somber, even with hope, and have reverence, but even with hope. Uh, even just the passage I'm reading today is a mouthful. So bear with me, and, and this is where in the church we can kind of slow down in those sacred spaces too, amen? Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are, who are in Judea flee to the mountains, 
Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Verse 26. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, the son of man will appear in the sky and all of the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the son of man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angel with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Let us pray. Father, Lord God, open up our hearts and our minds and our lives to this word today. The individually and corporately as the body of Christ, we would believe in the second coming of Jesus and we'd be ready for the second coming Jesus for generation to generation to come until that glorious day when you come back for your bride and all will be made new. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this, and, you know, Jesus is, is, is giving them a warning and giving them a sign because he loves them and he wants them to be prepared. And it's heavy stuff. But in the heavy stuff, we also find the good stuff. He is giving them, but also us, signs, or as the Bible says, labor pains. And in this passage in verses 15 to 35, what, what you're seeing is two things happening. The temple, like Jesus is saying, this temple is going to be demolished. And it, and it happened in, in, in 70 AD. But he's also talking about the time that has not yet to come. Remember, they're asking two questions. When will the temple be destroyed? And, and when are you going to come back? And when will be the, the end of the age? And so he's answering both. And this week and next week, we're going to look at that. This is going to be bigger picture stuff. Just so you know, there's not enough time this morning to go over just some of, the, some of the disagreements and agreements that we can get into. This will be, and you'll see it as we unravel it, this will be big picture stuff. And these are the things that we shouldn't argue about, the big picture stuff. As we look at this, and this is the, the, the anthem to the church from 2,000 years ago to now, the first would be this, is to be ready and be on mission. And hopefully you've heard that in this church, but also in other churches. 
to have your hearts ready, your lives ready, to be ready for the second coming of Jesus, or your last day. Like, if you were to die today, where would you go? The believer has a response to that. The unbeliever doesn't. The believer of other things gives other answers than what the Christian would give. The Christian would say, because Jesus Christ died on the cross, I am forgiven, and I have an eternal home with the Father. Be ready and be on mission, but also for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we will love God and love people in that order. You see, when we meet together as a church, it is to come and give God his due glory and worship him. We are made to worship him. That's why worship is so beautiful, not just in song, but in all aspects of our lives. We are made to worship the Lord. But it's also the New Testament church, which is us, is to come together and be equipped. The audience in here is for the believer. Unbelievers come in, praise God, God uses that. Amen, we're gonna talk about the gospel. Hopefully they see that and go, what, what you're talking about is real and I want some of that. But there's also equipping that happens in here because you're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to this world that is crying out for a savior whether they know it or not. And just like 2,000 years ago, we go through stuff, right? Life is hard, right? Is life hard? It's also good, but it's also hard. It's also good. It's also real hard. End of sermon. No. Be ready and be on mission. And this is, I want us to look at 1 Peter 3, 14 through 15. Jesus is not shy. Sometimes the um, name it and claim it, um, Everything is, is always good, even though that's not what Scripture says. Right? The, the, scripture is always preparing the church to be on mission, but also comforting the church as we just go through just stuff. So 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So, so first Peter saying, man, you're, you're going to go through some stuff. I'm going to go through some stuff. It's just a part of a broken, fractured world. But we're not to have fear the way the world does. Do not be frightened. And give account and be ready. Because people are going to, why are you at peace? Or why is the church talking about Good Friday or even talking about end times and saying, Jesus, come back? Why are you, do aren't you afraid? Aren't you afraid of this war or this earthquake or this plane ride to Ecuador? And yes, we are because we're human, but there's also an answer to no, I'm not. Because I know where I'm going and I know what's headed for me. Do we know that? But do this with gentleness and respect. Romans 5, 3 through 5. This is not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So what this is saying is, you know, God is doing something bigger in you and in the church than what you can currently realize. Through, through the word of God and the spirit of God, we can begin to understand it, but in our humanness, we just can't. All, 
All the things that you go through are not in vain. God's not messing with you. He's not far from you. And there's actually fruit that'll come out of it. We often speak of this out of the Bible. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, you can't taste and see that the Lord is good just sitting on the bench. You can't taste and see that the Lord is good and not go through trials. You can't have faith without going through stuff that needs faith. And the Lord is telling us in Scripture and telling us in the church, God, I'm doing something bigger in you so that you can truly taste and see how good God is. Not so you can be a better you for you. The world gets it wrong. It's so you can walk in great intimacy and trust with your heavenly Father. And so that you can then also spread the good news of the gospel because when the light gets turned off and there are dark times, people are scared. People are wondering what's going on. They are awakened to greater things. And that's where we get to say, well, let me tell you about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the good news of God's plan that this is not the end, that there's an eternity waiting, and it is absolutely beautiful. Be on mission. And to be on mission, the second thing, you must know the truth. That we get to taste and see, but we begin that tasting and seeing because we know the word of God. Know the truth that God is in control. And he's still with you, and he is for you. God is not the author of chaos. He has a plan, no matter what the world thinks. Know him so you can trust him and understand this pillar of the faith. If the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. Your sins and addictions and junk and stumbling, it doesn't get to dictate who you are. The word of God says who you are, and the believer believes the word of God. Amen. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, as we go through this sometimes dark world. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So in the Western world, this is something that really can hit home because, man, we have backup plans for our backup plans for our backup plans. God, show up, but we don't really need you to. Some of our trials with even finances is messy because of our idol worship of finances where God is saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. May we hear that as we look at end times and things that happen and even now, in the last 2,000 years, we live in a broken world. Would we look at the broken world with the hope of Jesus, knowing with confidence he will never leave us? Remember, the religious leaders missed who Jesus was as the Messiah because they refused to see what their greatest need was. Their greatest need was, hey, can we be on top of the food chain again? Can we just take the Romans out? They looked for a Messiah that was going to be a conquering king of the worldly problems rather than their spiritual problems. Their greatest need was deliverance from sin. And in all of our great stuff we have, you and I can get caught up in the same thing. And I need to be reminded, Lord Jesus, yeah, could I, could I have a little bit more money? 
Could I have a little bit better health? Could I get some better sleep sometimes? Whatever the case would be. And all those things are true. And God cares about those things. But my greatest need is, Lord, God, forgive me. Sanctify me. Draw me close to you. And we must know the difference. If not, we can be like the religious leaders of Jesus' time that didn't, didn't get the warnings of God, but also didn't understand him as the Messiah. And as we go through this, it's just like we'll, we said this a couple weeks ago. Um, Pastor Michael talked about it last week. You know, the, the world it, it has light places and it has dark places. It has places where it just seems, oh, this is just the peace of heaven. And others like, oh, this is opposite of the peace of heaven. It's dark and it's fractured at times. And we as Christians, as we look at the second coming of Jesus, can say, Lord God, where are you? Or maybe we see some terrible thing like in, in India that just happened where hundreds of people die in a, in a, in a, in a train wreck. We're like, God, where are you? Why is this? Anyone else wrestle with those things? Well, second Peter three, nine reminds us the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that doesn't change that the world is still fractured and bad things happen in a fractured world. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. In fact, his slowness in our mind to coming is actually because he does care. So God did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world in this first coming. And remember this, Isaiah 55, 11. So, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. So God is in the business of when bad things happen, destruction happens, somehow, someway, he even turns that into good, especially for the believer. Amen? Now, Jesus, their first question is about the, the temple, and he talks to him like, he's, Prophet Daniel spoke of this in, in the desolation. And the book of Daniel is super important, and the religious leaders of the time of Christ know that. See, the, the book of Daniel is a, is, is a book of prophecy. As Daniel is living out a life that he's in, he's also talking about some stages that will happen in the world, and some have happened, and some will happen. And Jesus is saying, man, we're going to look at, at what Daniel said, and, and let me tell you, and let's show you uh, through Scripture what Daniel said, and these things are going to happen. Um, one of the things, and the reason why they, they were watching this is Daniel had already prophesied that, that four empires would, would rise and fall. Three of the four, their scholars knew, and they, they could look at Scripture and realize, oh, this is what, this is what Daniel was talking about. Uh, Babylon was one, Persia was one, and then Greece. And those were three empires that were, I mean, you would have looked at them in history and been like, man, they'll never stop being this empire. And they're, they're wiped out, and then they're wiped out, and now they have Rome. They're looking at Scripture and the prophecies of Daniel going, hey, Rome is probably the fourth. The Messiah will come and deliver us from all of this. Well, they got it right, but they also got it wrong, didn't they? And this is a good thing is when we look at end times, when we look at scripture in general, write theology and study, and it's important to study the Bible, but we also need a soft and humble heart. Why? Because we will turn God into our image and we'll make him be what we want him to be rather than what he truly is as God. 
So when we look at this, we look at end times, we look at just the Bible in general and the character of God and the rulings of God, but we do it, do it through two lenses, through what the Bible, a careful study of scripture, but also say, Holy Spirit, come in and, and open up our hearts and our minds. And we do that with a humble heart, but with a heart that says, God, give us your revelation. Does that make sense? Because it's so easy, again, we've, as we've looked at the gospel of Matthew the last two and a half years, it's so easy to look at the religious of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Oh, wait a minute. We're religious. We're human too. We make mistakes too. Lord God, open up our hearts and mind. So I want to look at, we're not going to get in tons of Daniel because it's already 1142 and we only have so much time. Okay. I could, we could probably spend six months just, just in, in some passages in Daniel. Um, but I don't have, we don't have the time this morning or I, I have the expertise to do, to be honest. But we are going to look at Daniel 9, 25 to 27. It gives us a, a glimpse of what Jesus is talking about uh, with the coming of the Messiah, but also um, the, the destruction of the temple. And it says, now and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in the times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of, of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end in sacrifice, an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple... He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So what, there's a couple different things that Daniel's talking about just in this passage. He's talking about the Messiah to come. When he says the prince that will come will be cut off, he's talking about Jesus who will give his life for our forgiveness and restoration. But he's also talking about the temple. And if you do the spiritual math from the time in Nehemiah 2, when the temple is rebuilt, those 77s, see, they knew the Messiah would come in the time frame that it, Jesus came. And they were still looking for a different Messiah. And Jesus is pointing this out to them, but also the reality is that the temple will be destroyed within the time. See, these 70 times seven equals 490 years from the time that Nehemiah rebuilt the temple. Just like we have Sabbath, six days of work, one day of rest, they also had for the land six years of work, and on the seventh they rested. They also had the year of Jubilee. Raise your hand if you know what the year of Jubilee is. Okay, And that's when all debts and all lands and everything is cleared and goes back to its original owner. And one of the sins of Israel is they didn't take a Sabbath like they should, and they didn't take a seven-year Sabbath like they should, and they definitely never did the year of Jubilee. And so there's consequences for sin. And this is where you find Israel in freedom and in bondage, and in freedom and in bondage. Temples being restored, temples being built right back up. And I don't have time today in, to get into all of this, but there is a lot here for us to look at and to pay attention to. And even as we look at Israel, okay, it's an important thing. You know, I'm not going to get in ton of it today. But remember, Jesus said in, in, in John 2, 19, 
as Jesus was, was doing these great things and speaking in authority, they said, by what authority do you do this? Do you do this? And his answer to them in John chapter 2, 19 is, destroy this temple and I will rise it again in three days. See, the temple in Jerusalem, was it was magnificent. It was seen as one of the seven wonders of the world. But yet the Romans in 70 AD, in the timeline of the Messiah would come, and in the timeline that Daniel's talking about, the temple is destroyed. And everything that Jesus tells them in the timeline happens as well. But Jesus was talking about something greater than the temple. Remember, the temple was important, but not supposed to be the object of their worship. Remember, Jesus, when he's in the temple, what does he say? It is written, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you are turning it into a den of robbers. Jesus rebuked the way they were charging for prayer and for making money out of the need to come close to God. Remember the seven woes? He talked to them about the heaps of burdens and not coming close to God themselves, using the word of God to actually keep people away. And in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. But we're looking at the passages here that the church 2,000 years ago looked at. They saw these warnings, and when the armies surrounded Jerusalem, historians will say the Christians were like, peace out, we're going to the mountains because Jesus told us to. And Israel listened to false messiahs and false teachers, and they actually went into the temple because they said the Messiah is going to come back and deliver us. And Jesus said the exact opposite. Does that make sense to us? It's a really important thing to look at. How we want to look at it this morning as the Bible talks about labor pains. From the time of Jesus, the death and the resurrection, and the temple being destroyed, we're now in a season of labor pains. Jesus is talking about things that will happen to them in their time, but also things that have happened since then and things that have not happened yet. So when you look at prophecy, it's why it gets really deep. It's also why people argue about it. And hopefully our arguments will actually be debates of a church that wants to be ready. There's a rhythm that you see, that you probably see every day, but we also see throughout history. Good seasons, bad seasons. Good seasons, bad seasons. Much like contractions or labor pains. I've never been pregnant, but I'm married to my wife who was three times. And the contractions, the labor pains, especially the first time with our oldest who was 15. You know, that, that day she was at work and she had contractions. We didn't realize they were really contractions because as any of the ladies in here that have been pregnant, it's just there's some pains, right? And then the contractions got more, but we still didn't know and we're, it's a Monday night. I prepared steak, my favorite meal for my wife, not her favorite meal. And we're watching the Dallas Cowboys play the Buffalo Bills. And my wife, honey, it is time. What? She's my, you know, my water broke. I'm like, really? Now? Halftime? Really? And I wish that wasn't true, but it was. And so then we rushed to the hospital, and there's, you know, 14 to, to 18 hours of labor, and eventually had to have an emergency C-section. And I'll never forget it because of my firstborn, but all those, those labor pains, I also around 3 o'clock in the morning, maybe might have looked at ESPN to see if the Cowboys won that game or not. 
Maybe might have got scolded by my wife a few times. Thank God for grace, right? But there were labor pain, and it was painful. But in the end was our daughter. And these are the labor pains that Jesus is talking about so that we would be ready, not scared, not afraid, not living for ourselves, but on mission. And the closer to the second coming of Christ, this is something we can agree on, those labor pains will get more frequent. We'll talk more about that next week. But here's some labor pains that we can look for in every season and every generation. There's three that Jesus talks about. Those that say the Christ is here when he's not. In every generation, from the time of the temple being destroyed till now, there's someone saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. I remember in the 90s, David Koresh, you want to raise your hand in Waco, Waco, Texas? Right? He came out saying, I am the Messiah, and I will rebuild Zion and do all these things. And it wasn't people that didn't know the Bible that followed him. It was actually some people with some high degrees in theologies. They were like, okay, you're telling us what we want to hear. And actually, if you really... If you, if you look at David Koresh, he, he actually, I mean, he was messed up, but people still believed him. And if they really would have been in their Bibles, it would have been like, what? Jesus said, they're not to believe you yet. So be careful with that. There, there has been and there will be, and they'll continue to be until the second coming of Jesus Christ. People that will say they're Jesus that are not. The second thing, false teachers and signs and wonders. So be careful because some of these messiahs and false prophets are going to come in power. Why is this so important, especially for a church like Emmaus? Well, because we believe in signs and wonders. We do believe that, that the church can still work in these things. But it's also why we have to do our due diligence and test prophecies and test our hearts. Does that make sense? Right? It's an important thing. That's why this corporate gathering is super important. And then also the third one, you will know when you know. It will be really clear. And that might tick some of us off, but it's what Jesus is saying. It's like, there's going to be, there's going to be false, false signs, false wonders. Doesn't mean that signs and wonders are false, but some are. There's going to be false messiahs. Don't believe them because you'll know when you know. And I go, okay, God, well, how I know? Well, you'll know when you know. I remember I was single and I would ask people, how I know when I meet my wife? Well, you know when you know. Like, well, that's not helpful. But they were right. I'm like, oh, now I know. And she's the one. And right, it's just like, it, I, you, but you don't know till you get there. And Jesus said, it'll be so evident that it won't be under debate. You will know, but be ready. Amen? So we can agree on looking at the labor pains. We can, be, we can agree and disagree on, on, on certain other things. Maybe some in here are, and we'll talk a little bit about this more next week, but post-trib, pre-trib. Raise your hand if you even know what I'm talking about. Okay, and I'm in the I'm riding with Jesus trip. Okay, and I don't say that to be to be arrogant or in something the Lord's even challenged me on. To, I have friends on both sides that are very confident. Man, it's it's post this or it's it's pre this, and I'm like, okay, I'm I'm riding with Jesus, and I've been challenged because sometimes like it's the theology of like I'm a Jesus either way. Like I'm just like, but also can be lazy in some of my studying. And just being awakened to the labor pains, much like with my wife when I was watching um, highlights on ESPN. Right? There's like she actually, you know, rebuking, like, "Honey, pay attention. There's a, there's a moment here, 
right? So maybe you're in the same camp as me, and you're just like, yeah, either way, pans out, I'm following Jesus. Still be awakened. Still be, like, that's what Jesus is saying to his church. Be ready and be on mission and teach the next generation to be ready on mission because there will be a second coming, and it'll be a glorious day. This is the, the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad on it. It'll be like none other. Amen? And we are going to hopefully have some good, challenging, with good hearts, disagreements. But let's not be divided. Be okay with reasonable views that all point to the same thing. Be ready, church, because Jesus is coming back. And in closing, I wanted to uh, look at a song um, from a former artist who's since passed and is with Jesus now by the name of Rich Mullins. Raise your hand if you know who Rich Mullins is, okay? And um, he's you know, someone older than me that I listened to when I first uh, came to Christ and, and, then, and then passed away. But he has a song uh, called The Creed. And um, he wrote, even just to help himself, remember the main things. And these are things that we honestly, we shouldn't be arguing about, we should agree on. And on some of the words from this song, I'm just going to just kind of read out loud. It says in the song, the creed, I believe in God, the father, almighty maker of heaven and of earth and of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified and dead and buried. And he says this, I believe what I believe. It is what makes me. It is what I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God and not the invention of any man. I believe that he's returning to judge the quick and the dead of the sons of men. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the one holy church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sin. I believe in the resurrection, and I believe in a life that never ends. Amen? So as we look at this stuff, I mean, those would be the things that would be like, man, these are the pillars, the beautiful pillars of the faith. And may the others that we maybe sometimes disagree on be just because we, we really want to be ready. C.S. Lewis said this, I'm talking about end times, and as we close, I just want to look at two quotes, one from Billy Graham and one from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said this, for this time, it will be God without disguise, something so overwhelming, it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. And he actually wrote this during World War II when people really thought Jesus was coming back. And we'll talk more about that next week. Just the signs and time and every generation looking. Billy Graham said this, the second coming of Christ will be so revolutionary that it will change every aspect of life on this planet. Christ will reign in righteousness. Disease will be arrested. Death will be modified. War will be abolished. Nature will be changed. And man will live as it was originally intended he should live. Amen. And the worst thing can come up, we want to look at a few questions like we always do as we just respond to the word of God. And, and may this be, as we worship, even just a sacred place. 
right? It's okay to, to, to get excited and worship, but also like find the Lord in that sacred somber place where you're just like, okay, Lord, you are holy. Your ways are higher than ours. Your plans are better than ours. Jesus is coming back. Do you believe that? That's something that I want to teach my children and continue to teach them in this generation of church and the next generation of church to come. That we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. That it actually, that reality affects how we live on the daily. Jesus is coming back. And do you believe that? That's the question. Second question, are you ready? That's a two-part understanding in that question, are you ready? The first one is the question of salvation. Believers are ready on one end because they're like, yeah, I'm riding with Jesus. He's my Lord and my Savior, and I know what eternity has. The world or someone that's not a Christian is like, well, I don't know. I don't know what I, no, if I die, I don't want to die today. But if I do, I know where I'm going. And our prayers that you do too, that blessed assurance that Jesus is king and you have been forgiven and set free and you have an eternal home. There's such grace and peace. And it's the eternal question. But then the other is a readiness of the church and even how we live in our lives. See, we are on mission to be fruitful and multiply and enjoy this, this world and this earth, but we're also on mission to tell people about Jesus and to pre prepare our homes, our hearts, and our minds for his second coming. And friends, sometimes we're just too busy, too pampered, too worried, too whatever to be ready. And so let today, as we look at today's passage, kind of just be a wake-up call for Jesus is coming back and there will be a day of judgment and a day of separation. Which leads us to our last question. Are you on mission? The good, the bad of your daily is to be used to tell people about Jesus. The good and the bad on the daily is to remind us that it is finished. The good and the bad is to be on mission that Jesus is coming back and this is not our eternal home. Let's not waste the day by not telling people about Christ. Let's make the day count by being on mission. Amen. Let us pray. Father, Lord God, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And as we worship you, would we, be, would we agree on one thing, Lord? You're in control. That you have a plan. That you're coming back and that we're to be ready in all seasons and always to give an account for the hope that we have, the purpose that we have, and the salvation of Jesus Christ that is so good that everything that we do does center around the gospel and your returning. Would we find hope in your returning? Would we find purpose in your returning? And God, as we beckon and say, Lord God, come back, come back, is now time. Would be reminded you are not slow because you do not care. You are slow because you do care. And as our hearts break and sometimes our hearts cry, that we would be reminded to tell people about Jesus, to pray for people that need Jesus. And we would truly surrender daily to be the hands and feet of Christ as you've called us to be. Father, set your people free just to sit in your presence today.
and to know that you are God and know that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.